Freedom Hut. President Trump doing well in his fight against COVID. Libs and commies hardest hit. Dems pushing again to postpone ACB's vote. Calls to re-prosecute the Breonna Taylor case. And New York City has zip code-based lockdowns. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Quite a weekend. The journos, the live media showing us exactly who they are and what they're all about. I couldn't even keep up with the conspiracy theories. I try to at least give myself some time on, say, Saturday. I I try to give myself a a little bit of leeway before I have to dive back into the, the political madness. But it was impossible to avoid this weekend, really, because you would see a conspiracy theory and think they can't really believe that, do they? And then you would have so-called experts going on air. And if you were thinking, and I don't think anybody was, but if somebody happened to be thinking that maybe this would be a moment where the president of the United States has what could be a life-threatening disease. So far, it seems like he's going to be just fine, as I've been telling you so far. Uh, But when you would think that that would bring the country together, it turns out that, no, for the libs, They can't even give the guy 48 hours in the hospital to see how he's doing before the endless conspiracies. And look, just let's be clear about this. They're rooting for a negative outcome here. I won't say how negative, because some of them maybe draw the line from the worst possible outcomes. But they they really do think that it's bad for their cause unless the president gets really sick and is in the hospital for a week or two where it's clear that he's been really hit hard by coronavirus. Because, look, this is all very political. They're going to pretend like it's not. But whenever someone these days says to you, COVID-19 is not about politics, they're about to tell you something that is absolutely partisan. They're about to tell you something that is clearly political in nature. The president is doing well so far. And that means that you have a man who's 74 years old who is in a a body mass index range that could be considered also an additional aggravating factor for COVID-19. He's on remdesivir. He's taking dexamethasone. So they've put him on some of the better treatment, some of the better modalities for approaching recovery in this virus. But he seems to be doing pretty darn well. And the libs are going back and forth. I can't tell what the conspiracy is going to be because it changes every few hours. I was seeing some, how do we know he's really sick over the weekend? And I'm not talking about random internet trolls. I mean people who are professional commentators, people in the media, journalists, saying that they they don't think that we can really trust the president of the United States even has COVID-19. Maybe this is some kind of scam. Now, if you were looking for a clear, you could call it a rapid results test for Trump derangement syndrome. I think you have it with people who believe that the president could theoretically be faking his COVID-19 diagnosis. This is insane. This is people who, who truly need help. They may not have COVID, but they have a sickness of the mind. 
and the president has broken them. They're no longer able or capable of thinking clearly and normally about things. Uh, Then the other side of this uh, is that the president is getting what what the president uh, put at risk. Secret Service agents, because he went out and was in a car where there were a couple Secret Service agents driving and it was a, a short duration, but he was waving and the journos were apoplectic about this, completely freaking out. Very angry because they're saying he put those uh, those agents lives at risk. And I even saw one anonymously sourced, of course, Secret Service agent who was saying that, you know, they're willing to take a bullet for the president, but not from the president was the line that was making the rounds over the weekend. First of all, uh, the president's health is not the health of just a normal person in that it affects our national security. It affects the economy. The markets will move up or down based upon this. This is really important. This is big stuff right now. Every life is precious and we're all equal in the eyes of God. But the president of the United States gets a personal security detail that's really a small army because his health and his safety matters to the country in a way that your average citizen does not. And hey, I'm here to admit that that's not really fair, but that's just the reality that we live in. And the president showing people that he's doing okay also has a value beyond just an average run-of-the-mill person saying, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. He was wearing a mask. The Secret Service agents were wearing a mask. I don't know if there's a partition that separates them in the car. If there's a partition, I feel like, what are we even really talking about? Um, But if there is no partition, even still, I was led to believe that masks were very effective. We're told very effective at slowing the spread of this virus. So there were precautions taken in the vehicle. Uh, But there's also the possibility the Secret Service agents have already had COVID or been exposed to it. And then there's also the fact that they're around him all the time. They have to be in proximity to the president in rooms where he has just been present in areas where he has been breathing the air. That's just the nature of the job. If the president had the flu, for example, there would still be Secret Service protection and there would be some degree of risk. This is really getting to the fundamental question here. This is what people don't think about and need to think about. There is no such thing as a risk-free existence. And there is no such thing as a government that can protect you from all of the risks, health and otherwise, from daily life. And if they try to do that, you are living in a tyranny. We need to start accepting that there is no perfect safety or perfect future here and live with the virus around us instead of in constant fear of it. But there's so much now they're, they're desperate to show uh, that the president of the United States, because of his recklessness, that's it's his fault. He got sick. These are the things they want you to believe. It's his fault that he got sick. It's his fault that people around him got sick or that anybody was exposed to the virus. Blaming Trump for a virus that has spread around the entire globe. And in countries that are similar to us in terms of population density, uh, health precautions, The outcomes have been very similar to our outcomes. In fact, the U.S. on a per capita basis has done a lot better than many of our European counterparts. Other heads of state, other first ladies have gotten COVID-19. So is it all Trump's fault? I I just want to know what's really our baseline here. You know what you're not hearing about a lot these days in the media? Spain, the U.K., Ireland, 
all going back into lockdowns. In the case of Ireland, a full-scale national lockdown. The UK, back into lockdown. Spain, back into lockdown. France, Paris is locked down. They're going to lock down even more beyond that, too. But wait a second. I thought I thought that they had done such a good job. And I thought all we had to do was wear masks. And it was the big, bad, mean Trumpster who wasn't wearing the masks enough. And so that's why it spread here. But why is it spreading all over Europe again? There's really no U.S. travel to Europe. So what's the problem here, folks? Is it Trump's fault? Is it the fault based on what the journos say about Trump? Is it the Europeans fault as individuals that they didn't wear masks enough? Is that why they're getting sick? Is that what we're led to believe? Just notice that this creates this this veneer of an explanation, this facade of an explanation for whatever this disease will spread anywhere. It's it's the fault of the people for not listening to the government enough. That's what they're going to tell you. A government that has been atrociously wrong in, in all cases all over the world about how to deal with this. The World Health Organization, the CDC, the experts have been catastrophically wrong. Do not forget that. Same people that will now point to the CDC when they like the guidance or when they think it's useful as a political weapon. They don't care about public health. This has really come down to two people who are at two kinds of people who are advocating for the extreme lockdowns. Those who are just terrified, petrified. They they don't care what the actual death numbers show as a percentage of the population. They don't it doesn't matter. They're terrified and they just want everyone to live in fear as well because they can't help themselves. They're just so scared. And then there are people that view this at every opportunity as a means of both controlling other people and defeating political ideologies or a political ideology in the U.S., in this case, conservatism, that is rooted in individual liberty, in the freedom of the of the individual to act and uh, lawfulness, rule of law, all of these things. This is all under assault now. It is lawless, in fact, to extend states of emergency indefinitely. I don't care if a legislator hands that power to the governor. I mean, that's like the legislator handing the power of a legislative body to the governor, which is what they've done in New York. That's not supposed to happen, right? The Supreme Court doesn't get to say, hey, we're going to give all of our power to the president. We're done here. Too scary. Don't, don't want to make any big decisions. Right? That, that's an erosion. That's a destruction of the separation of powers, which we have in place for a reason. These different governors are not acting as though we've learned the lessons we have in recent months. You look at Cuomo, you look at Murphy in New Jersey, Governor Whitmer up in Michigan. Florida is pretty much open in terms of open for business. Yeah, I'm sure people take some precautions still, but Florida's doing pretty well. You know where else they're doing well? Just to bring this back to Europe for a second. You got about, depending on the day, as many as 10,000. This is just the last couple of weeks, 10,000 new cases in Spain where they're not really doing a lot of testing, mind you. But they have a lot of sick people, a lot of people that are going, getting sick and going to the hospital in Spain. Uh, you know where you have about two to three hundred cases a day? Sweden. Whatever happened to Sweden is experimenting with mass human sacrifice. Remember that stuff back in May and June? Why is it that Sweden, which is even colder, so you'd think there'd be more indoors and more shared air circulation than you do in, say, Spain. Why does Sweden only have a few hundred cases a day? And Spain, France, the UK, thousands and thousands of cases. Now, I know there's larger population, but control for population size. Sweden has 10 million people. Spain's got about 45 million people. So 4x, okay, 200 cases times 4, 800 cases. Is that 10,000? No. So why does Spain have so many more? 
They keep acting like shutting down society and telling us all to stay in our homes is some brilliant scientific method to control this. Like this is some epidemiological breakthrough. No, you're shutting down society. And once society starts getting going again, there will be some more spread of this disease. We knew this in the beginning. It was flattened the curve for 15 days. If it was really about stopping the disease in its tracks until a vaccine was in full distribution everywhere, how could we have ever thought it was going to be 15 days? And that was Fauci and all the experts. How could we have ever thought that that was really a plan? 15 days was just meant to get the hospitals up to speed so they could handle it. And then we were supposed to transition back to normal life as closely as we could. And remember, while we had 15 days and then 30 days and then 60 days, huge spikes in cases in New York, New Jersey, continued more and more transmission, more and more transmission going on. It had already been seeded all throughout the population. And what lesson do they learn? No lesson. Listen to us more, peasant. It's your fault that this is coming back. That's what they tell you. That's what the experts say. It's all because we don't mask enough. There was a time when Fauci just a few months ago was saying social distancing is really the key. But then they realized social distancing is a fancy word for not living life and being around people. Treating everyone healthy and sick like we should all be in quarantine. Social distancing is effectively mass mass quarantine. That's what they're telling everybody. That was the idea. And we think that this is a, a path forward. And it's not even remember, it was locked down until the vaccine is too damaging to society. We can't advocate for that. That's what the experts were saying. Now it's, well, we don't know how effective the vaccine will really be. And there'll be a percentage of people that, you know, that that it doesn't work for and we have to distribute it. So now we're going to we're going right now that the timetable the Democrats are on is they want Biden to win. And then 12 months from now, maybe they'll start thinking about actually stopping the panic. Maybe once they've had a full year to institute more policies, to propagandize more, to use the state of emergency to, you know, transition into we need a climate emergency declaration now, all that stuff. Then maybe so you're signing up for at least another year of this insanity if the Democrats have charged the federal government and at the state level, unfortunately, New York, California, New Jersey, we are screwed. Our governors have learned nothing. They're morons. They've learned nothing. Oh, actually, they like this. They like the power, certainly, of all of this. And the lib elites don't miss a paycheck, don't mind working from home. A lot of them have multiple houses to go to. They're fine. They, they don't see this as being a big deal. And when they really need to break the regulations and stuff to go to a fancy party, they're just going to be you know, careful about that, meaning careful not with covid, but that they don't get caught. That's what you're going to see. That, that's what's already been happening. But then Trump comes along and this causes a problem for the liberals, Causes a problem for the Democrats. So you have a 74 year old man. Of some girth. Not that I'm judging because it's been tough, tough lockdown for all of us, but 74 year old man of some girth who may be able to basically beat this thing in a few days. OK, we're all living in fear of this virus. We're crushing our own economy, destroying millions of businesses and at each other's uh, at each other's throats in public over whether we're wearing a piece of cloth that doesn't actually seal anything. Around our mouth. But, you know, maybe it lessens the transmission a little bit. So we all have to do this now. Right. That's what this is not based. There's no data to show you on this. They just say do this. Okay. But if the president beats covid 
and then beats Biden. I don't know if the left can even handle this. How could they be more broken than they are? Aren't they already emotionally and psychologically shattered? I really hope that this is what happens, and I think it will. But I also wonder what the country will be like when the libs realize for all of their machinations, all their schemes, plotting and dishonesty, they still lost. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think the president is is sicker than the doctors are letting on. And again, I I, I, I hate to say it that way, but they, they have made that clear all throughout this these last several days. They keep telegraphing things that are highly concerning, but then painting this rosy picture. Uh, the president is on three different medications. His oxygen levels have dropped. We know that there are findings on his imaging studies uh, that are not normal. So th- these are all things that would certainly lead lead one to believe that he is uh, sicker than, you know, doing fine, maybe going to go home tomorrow. The going home tomorrow sort of comment, that really struck me as it did you, Fred. This is a doctor, Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN, who is diagnosing a patient uh, without seeing him and knowing anything about him, diagnosing by reading news headlines. I think he's sicker than the doctors are saying. Really? What the heck do you know? But this is what you have to do. You go on CNN, reckless speculation about the health of the commander in chief. No big deal over at CNN. I saw a hilarious graphic making the rounds that as the president continues to improve from COVID-19, CNN's flag is at half, half staff outside its Atlanta headquarters. That's, of course, a flag of the Chinese Communist Party outside. It's great. It's great. Uh, that was a fun one. Yeah, CNN is, is, a, is a disgrace and it's atrocious. But he, here you see... Instead of just coming together here for the country, I mean, they're they're rooting against the president and spreading lies about what's really going on with him. And you have to ask the question, I mean, about that Chinese Communist Party flag joke uh, or, you know, the People's Republic of China, the, the the CNN folks, the journos, if we were invaded by China tomorrow, you have to ask, who do you think that they'd be rooting for? I don't know. I start to wonder with Trump as president. It's a close call. Normally, I'd say they'd root for America. But with Trump as president. I don't know. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, now there's also that story that they're they're hopping all over the place about. Uh, very, very upset about Trump's doctor, Dr. Conley. And uh, he said this and oh, oh, they're looking for something. Remember, w- what are they really poking at here? That the president, people are lying about. We're going to know if he's healthy or not, okay? We're going to figure this out really quickly. There's, go, there's going to be a, a clear determination here one way or the other. Either the president gets better or he gets worse and we got a real problem as a country. But the libs, are, they can't wait for any. They're, they're looking for anything they can to dig into right now to undermine the positive vibes around the president and the sense that he's getting past this. Whatever they can do. They've dug into this process. They've dug into every statement of every person from the White House and from the doctors just looking to find even the slightest inconsistency without applying the basic rules of, of English and human decency where you would say, look, you know, we're going to say the, pre- you know, we, the president's doing well. What do you mean doing well? We had somebody else say the president had some concerning symptoms. Is that well? Yeah, you were talking about doctors here. They're they're. They're not going to sit there and and go into panic mode. But the Democrats want panic. They want it. 
And they also want to find ways to make this whole scenario about the recklessness of Trump and his team. And speaking of Democrats, here's Chris Wallace. Did the DNC a big favor in that last debate? I'm sure there's a big fat contract waiting for him at NBC whenever he decides to leave Fox. Whenever, whenever he pulls the Shepard Smith, which, you know, why shouldn't he at this point? We all know what the deal is. But Steve Cortez, a friend of mine, and uh, he was getting into a little bit of a tussle with Chris Wallace on air. Play three. People were distanced and they had been tested. Both of those things were true in that no, convention Steve, hall. No, they weren't distanced. And there were rules and there was no there was they, no freedom of choice. I, they broke the Chris, rules. I was there. I was there like you no, were. And they Steve, were distanced. Wh- why those did they break the rules? Those chairs were not close together. Look, those chairs were not close together. And again, we also believe that people it doesn't matter, Steve. The rules from the Cleveland Clinic choices. were close together, Steve. And the rules okay. from the Cleveland Clinic were everybody wears you know, a mask. Why didn't Chris, they? Chris, the way you're starting to harangue me now actually reminds me of what you did to the president during that debate on Tuesday night. When oh, he, yeah, debate, I, he not I just joined him. No. And then he had to he had to debate not just Joe Joe Biden, but you as well. You were not a neutral moderator then. I don't mind tough questions. I welcome you know how much- reasonably tough questions. But what I don't think is okay is for you to become the effective opposition to the president. Okay, and those everyone there was tested in the crowd. They were distanced from each other. People can make reasonable State decisions that- for themselves. State- no, they actually they can't. No, they can't. He says. You notice that Chris Wallace? People can't. You can't decide for yourself. You have no. You have no more health autonomy. Oh, get ready for forced vaccination my friends because that's happening and I, i'm about to get a vaccine because i got a little nephew coming in a few weeks i'm about to get a vaccine for whooping cough and i'm fine with that i'm not anti-vax don't even think that for a second but mandatory vaccination for a disease that really only affects a certain portion of the population remember we're not talking about mandatory vaccine just for people who are at high risk everybody everybody's got to get it that's what we're going to be told hmm uh Okay, I'm not not, now that hasn't been determined yet. But if you think the Democrats aren't willing to do that and remember, there's a lot of ways to coerce without saying it's mandatory, but making it effectively mandatory. Oh, you don't have to get the vaccine. You just you can't go to public school in New York, let's say, without it. Oh, too bad. But wait, my eight year old, you know, is at very little risk from this and the parents will get vaccinated. But why does he have to get vaccinated at this stage? No, they're not going to care. They're not, you're not allowed to make health decisions for yourself. Not allowed to make health decisions. That's that's another part of this. We also can't even talk honestly about why is the U.S. at such high risk? Why, why have we had uh, some of the problems that we've had? Well, we have a lot more health issues in general than other countries do. We do have we have, for example, one tenth. And that's a real number. I mean, I, I've actually done the uh, pull the numbers on this, pull the data. One tenth the obesity of of Japan. Similar numbers in South Korea. Ten percent. Now, that's the single biggest risk factor other than age for this disease. But we're not even looking at that. In fact, what we've done is made everyone less healthy, made people gain weight. And I mean that seriously. People have gained some substantial weight during this period. Not helpful. Not helpful for the uh, inflammatory system, uh, inflammatory systems that kick in if you, if you do get this disease. But instead, what we have is all, all, all of the above policy. Right? One size fits all. That's top down from the federal government, especially if Biden wins. And I think that was so illuminating when you had Chris Wallace saying, no, they can't actually make decisions for themselves. That's really what the Democrats think here. You can't you can't make this call. Sorry, not allowed to make this call for yourself. Mm -mm. Can't do it. Other people have to be making these calls for you. You know, I just saw today another study, another study. 
I don't know if it's, you know, which studies are we supposed to believe? Another, you know, peer-reviewed study says uh, COVID can spread 15 feet in the air. Hmm, okay. So, so now when you say, well, if it can spread 15 feet, why are we distancing six feet? Because distancing 15 feet is going to look truly ridiculous. And it means that a lot of things are completely impossible. Forget about indoor dining and restaurants and all this. But it also raises the point, well, so what are we really going to do here? We're going to live in a society where we stay, you know, 20 feet away from each other. Why not 30 feet? You know, if, if you're really worried about this, shouldn't it just be 30? Well, then just just don't be in the same indoors environment with any other human being for as long as we have this. I suppose that's the direction we're going into now. I mean, the libs have really convinced themselves. I see it now more than ever that if only we complied more. And this is hitting the Midwest hard right now, right? A lot of cases in the Midwest. Texas has been through this. Arizona has been through this. Florida has been through this. Georgia has been through this. You know, it's been through the South. Now, when in the early days of this, I remember I was doing this show from New York. The pandemic was, you know, people thought it might have had a up to a 3% fatality rate, which would have, you know, we we're talking about Spanish influenza numbers. You're getting there. I think Spanish influenza was 5% fatality overall, but that's, it spread like wildfire. And that was millions and millions of people dying from it. Turned out the real individual case fatality rate was something, it's something more like 0.01%, 0.02% of people who get it, something like that. And, and that's for all age groups and all, all health, uh, all health profiles. I remember in the early days, people were saying, oh, Buck, but it's not going to be that bad elsewhere. No, it spreads all over the place and it's highly contagious. And we know this now. We've seen this. Uh, we also know that there have been periods where, as I've said to you, in New York, and I, they want you to forget about this. You di- I did not see an unmasked person in Manhattan indoors for months, months. And people were wearing masks and gloves. And the cases kept it kept going up and up and up and up and up for about 10 weeks. The same thing you see if you if you look at the way this goes, it gets into a population. you got about a 10 week, a 10 week. It looks like a bell curve. And then it finally goes down. And if you look at mask mandates and when they're instituted and what ends up happening afterwards, there's no correlation between government mask mandates and cases going down that you can, I mean, it happens in some places and other places. It's the opposite. So why can't we have an honest conversation about this? Oh, no, because and it spreads 15 feet. But don't worry, the cloth mask you have that doesn't actually filter out anything that's in the air uh, that would be aerosolized. But don't worry, the cloth mask is going to entirely protect you or even substantially protect you. I mean, maybe is it 5 percent better? Is it 10 percent better? I I brought this up over the weekend and, and I see people, you know, we're having the same fights. And I know it's frustrating, but think of it like gun control. Every two years the libs go into some frenzy about gun violence and they forget all the all the arguments we've had in the past all the reasons why mass confiscation will not work mass confiscation is not possible and they want to have the same fight over again because they just want to wear us down this is a little bit different because they actually have the con- the quote consensus on their side and they're hoping that we forget everything that's happened in the past But I remember when New York was in full on lockdown and it was cases and more cases and more cases. And well, hold on a second. We were being so careful. We were being so careful, but it didn't matter. We're we're told to forget that now or that 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 didn't really happen. And also this now moral judgment. It is now a moral judgment if you don't wear a mask. And this is what you see with Trump and the White House staff and the way the media is depicting all of this. It's reckless what he's done with the Secret Service. It's reckless. You're putting people in harm's way by 
not wearing a mask constantly, even outside, even outside. Now we've gone to outside mask wearing. Oh, yeah. A few months ago, we were told, no, no, no. Come on. That's not necessary by the same health authorities that now say, oh, no, it's necessary because what they keep mandating that we do does not work. So what do they do next? Mandate the next thing and say we didn't do the thing they mandated well enough. Lockdowns, friends, are like communism. It's never that the system is rotten. The system is ineffective. It's that we didn't do it the right way. And apparently all of us have been murdering people with the flu for as long as we've been alive because we weren't wearing masks. People who believe in the sacred powers of cloth masks will dismiss this. They'll say, "Eh, it's not the flu. No, really think this one through. Forget about the idiots who can't think for uh, for themselves. If you're putting people at risk now, because you don't wear a mask outside. Well, what about all the all the years? You know, I've had the flu several times in the past. And people say, oh, but you're, you're the symptoms. Right. We have all this asymptomatic spread of covid, which is interesting because do we have the same degree of asymptomatic spread of cold viruses in general? But a question for another time. But even with the flu, you are you are contagious, very contagious for 24 hours before you show flu symptoms. So we've been infecting people because we don't wear masks and social distance during flu season. Tens of thousands of people die every year. And the only they'll they'll dismiss this. But the the real answer is, well, 30 to 60,000 flu deaths every year isn't that bad. And Trump wasn't president. Those are the only answers that they act when they're actually forced to look at this issue and look at this question. Those are the only answers. There is no other answer. I'm sorry, as you can tell, I'm very frustrated by this. And and I'm frustrated that people aren't willing to be. Uh, honest about what has happened and what is happening. And we're all supposed to live in this fantasy land where if only Joe Biden was Joe Biden is a moron. OK, if Joe Biden was in charge, this would all be better. It's not possible to be really intelligent and believe that I'm not saying Trump has done some great job. I don't think anyone's done a really great job because ultimately I think the government isn't able to do that much about this. It's not that much. If, if I'm wrong, explain to me why most of the westernized industrial countries around the world have had pretty much the same outcome, which is really bad. But that's obvious, isn't it? Think it through. Think for yourselves. One of the reasons why I appreciate those of you who listen to the show is that they, you listen to this because of the thinking we do here, the analysis we do. I don't have the biggest flat platform. I don't have a show on Fox News. I don't have a lot of people putting up billboards of me all over the place. We just think better than other shows. And you, my friends, are a part of that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. In case you're wondering, because I keep saying things like they were really wrong, folks. Health authorities were wrong. Politicians that now currently act like they're heroes and all this were wrong. Here's a little trip down memory lane, courtesy of uh, Grabian. And it involves the New York City health director, the mayor of New York. A few other people on there from the, Nancy Pelosi, other people on there from the early days who were telling people uh, not only should they be out going about their lives totally normally, go right to the uh, Chinese Lunar New Year festivals in Chinatown in San Francisco and in New York. That's where you want to be. That's the place you should be hanging out. Play two. The risk to New Yorkers for coronavirus is low. And our city preparedness is high. This should not stop you from going about your life, should not stop you from going to Chinatown and going out to eat. I'm going to do that today myself. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and 
come join us. There is no concern at this time for coronavirus in our region. The Department of Sanitation is ready for Mardi Gras 2020. The facts are reassuring. We want New Yorkers to go about their daily lives. There's really no need to panic and to avoid activities that we always do as New Yorkers. We are a hardy people. Americans do not need to panic. What I would suggest, however, is that Americans take this as a wake-up call for seasonal flu. There's very little threat here. This disease, even if you were to get it, basically acts like a common cold or flu. Those are all people that are now telling you, sorry, guys, we might have to keep you locked down and in your apartments, you know, stay at home orders, shut down businesses, uh, non-essential businesses closed again until we say so. They won't even give you metrics anymore until they feel like you can reopen. De Blasio, you can't make this up, folks. De Blasio is putting in zip code specific restrictions for New York City. Zip code specific. So, you know, you got to remember that in New York because of the the population density here. This is the zip codes here are not big. Uh, Zip code can be, you know, 10 blocks of the city. You can walk from one zip code to another in a matter of minutes. So they're going to have for some if you're a shopkeeper in a in a high risk zip code out in Brooklyn or Queens right now, you will be told, sorry, uh, your business can't open. But if you're a five minute Uber ride away, you're allowed to keep doing your business. I mean, look, I'm glad they're not shutting down everything in a sense, but this just goes to show you how stupid and arbitrary this is. And when people like me point out and I'm right, this is arbitrary and it is dumb beyond words. When people like me point this out, I get yelled at. Oh, it's because of you. Like as if I'm to I have to wear my mask. I can't even leave my building without wearing a mask. I can't go anywhere without a mask on. All right. People now in New York are, are psychotic about mask wearing more so than ever before. And they say, oh, well, well, you're the reason I'm sorry. I'm the reason that this virus, not just me, but people like me, I'm the reason the virus is spreading because I point out that you're instituting policies that no person with above a single digit IQ could think is actually going to do anything here. Zip code specific restrictions. OK, if you live, imagine if there was if there was a really bad flu season, just take out the covid for a second. Imagine being told, hey, your business that's uh, on 40th Street has to shut down. But on 55th Street, ten, you know, 15 blocks away, uh, which is less than a mile, you're allowed to have the same business opening. This is for your health. They're telling you this is for your health. And you say, how could they do something so arbitrary and so insane? People are going along with it. It's all Trump's fault. So all the anger is being transferred onto Trump. So Democrats benefit from that. They like that. Right. If you're if you feel frustration at this, it's it's President Trump's fault. That's what all the Democrats are being told. Everything's on him. That's what they say. I mean, they're actually saying that in New York. The governor Cuomo says it when he's not busy sending COVID positive seniors into nursing homes for a death sentence for thousands of people. De Blasio says it. They just blame the president. So they have the control they want. They put all the blame on the president. So it's a useful attack against him. And they just get to continue on. They increase their power, have no responsibility for the downside, put all the blame on the president and hurt his political support. Politically, this is a dream come true for the left, isn't it? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There is a chance 
God willing, and some of you will know because you listen to this at different times, and I, I don't yet know, there's a chance that's being reported that the president will be able to go back to the White House today. We don't know yet. And as I've said, because I know people listen on demand and in some places were delayed a little bit as a show, uh, that I'm not sure if this will hold up, uh, meaning that you might know whether that's true or not by the time you hear this. I don't know as I go to air right now, but wouldn't that be a fantastic thing? And it would be such a, an inspiring moment for the country. The 74-year-old president of the United States who has some additional risk factors thrown in here would be able to get in and out of the hospital in a couple of days. Now, they might say, oh, but Buck, he had world-class uh, medical care. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, that's true. But remdesivir and dexamethasone, this is standard of care in a lot of hospitals now for people that go in with COVID. They can do this for people, and they do. So what what exactly is so different about it? You know, this isn't like they're doing some surgery that's only been performed once before in the history of the human race. Right. This is actually the president's getting very good care and obviously a lot of close monitoring. But the basic approach is what the standard of care would be in a lot of good hospitals across the country. Look, there are crappy hospitals. That's a whole other conversation. But in a lot of good hospitals, this is what you would get. This would be reasonable. Dr. Conley, uh, when he was asked, and I, I mentioned this before and I skipped on to something else, but when Dr. Conley was asked about why he didn't want to get into too many specifics about the president's health, here, here's what the media seized on right away. Play four. That the president had been administered oxygen. Uh, it's a good question. Thank so you. I was trying to reflect the, the, uh, the upbeat attitude that the team, the president, that his course of illness has had. I um, didn't want to give uh, any uh, any information that might uh, steer the uh, the course of illness in another direction. Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, it came off uh, that we were trying to hide something, which wasn't necessarily true. Um, and uh, so have, here I have it. He's, he is the the fact of the matter is is that he's doing really well. That he is he is uh, responding. And as the team said, uh, if everything continues to go well, we're going to start uh, discharge planning back to the White House. That's it. Thank you, folks. Discharge planning back to the White House. Wouldn't that be so good for the country? Wouldn't it be so uh, inspiring and and encouraging? For people to see that the president of the United States was able to beat this thing pretty quickly. And that means that, look, everyone's got a shot. Now, I know there's still people who are dying from this. And if the president were 10, 10 years older, this might be a different story. Right. I mean, the higher you are in the age category, uh, the higher your risk. That's absolutely proven by the numbers. There's no doubt about that. You know, it's it's dangerous in your 70s. It's very dangerous in your 80s. And. We need to take precautions to protect seniors. But the way this has now been framed for the rest of us, it's, well, you can't just take precautions to protect seniors because the eight-year-old could get it in school and then the eight-year-old goes home and gives it to mom and dad and then mom and dad go to visit grandma and then grandma gets it and then she does. I mean, if that's how we're going to view epidemiology, we're just going to be going through lockdowns and public health panics for the rest of our lives. I mean, nothing is perfect here, folks. And there are there are real costs to these the imposition of these different rules, rules that we've been obeying. And the upside of it has been shaky at best, at best. And I'm somebody who, as I was saying at the very beginning, I was riding the, the absolutely 
jam-packed New York City subway every day during this thing. I mean, the, the, in the worst phase of spread, the, the 45 days or so before they got into the lockdown, when this thing was bouncing all over New York City, I was on the subway every day. I know this might sound a little bit uh, off to you, but I, I haven't been tested for antibodies. They say now the antibodies may fade, at least from being able to be tested after a few months. But I'm pretty sure I had it right around New Year's. And I, I haven't said that, I think, before on the show. Maybe I mentioned to you, but I had a bizarre cough like I've never had before that was waking me up in the middle of the night for a few days and definitely had a fever and definitely had the shake, you know, had had shakes. Um, uh, and it was bad. And I'd never had anything like that before. And I thought it might be like a mild flu or something. But maybe look, maybe it was just it's just coincidence. But it seems like a heck of a coincidence. Um, my point here being that uh, we went through the worst of it here. And I've been pretty consistent on this all along that we got to get back to normal life as soon as we can. And there will be some risks associ- associated with this. I think I saw that someone in college did get this and die. That's terrible. But people die every year. There are college kids who will die uh, from you know, uh, that w- there's a, I'm trying to think of what it is. I think it's encephalitis that you can get and that, that spreads in colleges and spreads in, in prisons, you know, very dense, densely populated environments very quickly. Uh, there's other diseases, too, that we know the flu, obviously. I remember I had a guy on my in my freshman dorm, not on my freshman floor, had to be rushed to the hospital because he was wrestling with somebody and didn't realize it, but he had already had an, an inflamed appendix and it burst while he was wrestling. I guess he had a mild appendicitis and didn't know. He almost died. I mean, things happen. I, I know it sounds like, fuck, well, you're talking about these random stories or cases, but things happen. You know, you can get, you can get diseases anywhere and you can die. You know, people get MRSA. They get antibiotic-resistant bacteria from... You know, a, a towel at the gym or something. And you know, there, there's some story out there. It's terrifying. I'm not even going to talk about it. What happens, you know, there's a bacteria you can get from being too close to your dog. And I'm like, look, I still snuggle my pooch all the time. I mean, we're all we're all taking mitigated. Uh, we're all taking rather calculated risks and put in place the basic mitigation for them. This is just about this is about life philosophy at some level. This is about your approach to things. I, I went and I've been to events where there were a lot of people at this point who were unmasked. And I've always said, dude, you know, I'll wear a mask because I, I will respect the house rules, so to speak, wherever I am, uh, because it's not, you know, it's not worth it to get into a fight with people over this stuff. And if it makes people feel better, it's not that much of an imposition. When people ask, when there's recommendations, I have no problem. My problem is that now if you're walking alone outside on the street and they're all libs, I mean, you can tell they're all MSNBC watchers. They stare you down from 20 feet away. Why aren't you wearing a mask? And you're like, because I'm outside and because I'm not near anyone. And because I also have about a one in 10,000 chance of actually having by the numbers in New York, one in 10,000 chance of having COVID. That's why. So your chance of getting it for me is about one in 10,000. And there's a one in 10,000 chance that I actually even have it in the first place. You can just. Multiply those denominators to get the actual risk factor, folks. Real low is the answer. Real low. People don't want to hear it, though. They don't want to hear it because, as I've said, look at the the mechanism around this, the narrative. We often talk about narrative here. Why do liberals like the current narrative? What does it give them? All the anger and frustration they feel is channeled toward Donald Trump, even for state level restrictions, even you know, New York is eight to one Democrat. Is it just the Republicans here that don't wear masks? Is that what we're supposed to believe? Uh, I, I think there are people who would answer yes to that. 
like the morons they are, but it's it's really astonishing. Um, you know, it's I think it's also interesting that there's such a a willingness to blame and you see this all the time to blame Trump supporters and and blame Republicans for a disease that has hit um, people in urban areas that are Democrat controlled much worse than anywhere else. And that has hit uh, minorities at a much higher rate of lethality than other places. Now, I, look, I understand there's a lot of complex reasons for this. I mean, epidemiology is some uh, very next level stuff. It's not a, not easy to understand all the different variables and factors that go into this. But we're not having that adult conversation. We're having a point fingers. You're the problem. You're the reason this is going wrong. It's so destructive at a time when we already have politics uh, pulling us all apart. You know, you almost want to just walk around saying, look, I don't want anyone to get this, but I also want to start living life again. What are we doing? And you notice the media has no interest in calculating the drug abuse, suicides, uh, child abuse and other aspects of this, nor, nor do they have a particular interest in seeing how many people have lost their life savings during this, their life's work with the businesses that have been destroyed. And, and you know, what is that worth to you? They're they're not interested. Uh, the, the narrative here is that if only Joe Biden was president, this would all be better. This is Trump derangement added to a pandemic. And it's disturbing to see how many people fall for this, how many people believe it. It's it's truly disturbing. But that is where we are. And I think we need to understand this is only they're only going to ratchet up and ratchet it up even more in these next. Wow. These next less than four weeks, less than a month. We have this election. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Everybody's rooting for the president to make a full recovery, right? I mean, everyone's being a decent, reasonable human being during this period, right? No, of course not. Of course not. We're talking about Democrats. They're completely out of their freaking minds. You had a SNL over the weekend, which still exists, even though it sucks and has been unwatchable garbage really for the last 20 years, maybe the last 15 years. Um, a lot of just woke bull crap. Uh, it's just it's just garbage. It's just not good. I, I'd say it has one sketch every two years or two seasons. That's kind of funny and worth watching. Other than that, it's, it's like watching a bunch of of annoying liberal college students who think they're so funny and doing like the funniest bits. And it's so funny. It's horrible. Uh, you had Chris Rock on SNL of the weekend. Um, remember the president's in the hospital. He does have what could be for his age group, a lethal disease. Here's what this uh, famous multimillionaire comedian has to say. Play five. Before we even get started, let's, let's, you know, let's say the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, President Trump's in the hospital uh, from COVID. And I just want to say my heart goes out to COVID. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're all laughing. It's so funny. That's funny. Is that funny? Really? Would it be funny if, if that were, uh, you know, one of Chris Rock's parents in the hospital with COVID? Would that be funny? Would that be a funny joke? It'd be funny if uh, it was, you know, your your father, your mother in the hospital with COVID-19. Are you making jokes about how you're, you're rooting for COVID? Is that is that supposed to be really that's supposed to be funny, huh? Hmm. This just goes to show you the the 
corrupt uh, mind that the libs now share. I mean, they have a hive mind. There's a collectivist approach to all of this uh, where there's there's no decency or morality that can be extended to Trump. And when you ask them why or when you try to get greater clarity on what it is that makes Trump so beneath any feelings of warmth or decency, uh, they just start spewing a bunch of nonsense talking points because they've been brainwashed. Trump doesn't care about children in cages. And, well, I mean, actually, for example, if you look at that issue, the president did change the policy and it was because of an intentional fraudulent surge at the border by people exploiting our immigration laws. But yes, there were parents separated from children. It was done because whenever you're arrested, you are separated from kids and they were breaking the law. But the president addressed that. and There was no more separation, but they'll still say he doesn't care about it. OK, well. It was a policy that was inherited and that was the law and the president didn't write the laws. Uh, or the president's racist. And they'll talk about Charlottesville. And you'll say, well, hold on a second. The Charlottesville, the transcript shows that he didn't say that the neo-Nazis were good people. But no, that doesn't doesn't matter. The facts don't the facts don't go through. The, the facts do not break through the bubble. They do not break through the echo chamber. Uh, they simply do not care. And the fact that people would laugh at this. I mean, I will tell you this. There was never a moment in time where I wished ill health. Or, or any kind of you know, physical harm or danger upon the president when it was Obama or his family. And if I had ever seen anybody that I knew on the right who was publicly doing that, I, I would have chewed them out. And, you know, we, we police our own on the right when we see crap like that. We do. And the libs would say, no, we, we absolutely do. I'm talking about people that have some clout and respect in the community. I'm not talking about some, you know, rando who's got a blog that 10 people read. Um. There is a, a fundamental morality here that we must keep even when the opponents that we have politically do not. And that's hard to do. Trump is an escalation in the tactics used to fight back against the left. And it's the right move. Otherwise, what we just have is a lot of people losing gracefully. The Mitt Romney approach, just lose gracefully to progressives, let them enact their policies, destroy this country, lose gracefully, you know, lose and smile and they'll pat you on the head and send you on your way. That was the old Republican Party. Really, the only thing that stopped that from becoming even more apparent was that we were fighting a war against radical Islam for a while, which at least which united conservatives and Republicans and some Democrats for a bit. It didn't last very long, did it? Um, But even when we're doing that, even when we're willing to fight against opponents who don't do so with honor, who don't do so with decency, we need to remember during all of that that we maintain decency, that we maintain some fundamental foundational morality during all of this. Because what we have been seeing from Democrats while the president's sick in the hospital should both be appalling, but also motivating. It should motivate you all to go out and support this president in every way that you can. It should motivate all of us um, to Make sure that we get every single person, we know every single uh, individual to go out there and support the president. You know, you don't want anyone, you know, who's a on the fence an independent, a Trump supporter who stays home. And you got to remember moments like Chris Rock making a first of all, it wasn't even a clever joke. It's gross. Uh, but making jokes like that, because when Trump beats covid right on schedule, which I am predicting and very confident he's going to. And then handily beats Joe Biden and the lib celebrities and the journos all have a mass hysteria meltdown. 
They will have earned every second of their own deranged anguish for the next four years of the Trump presidency. This time around, I do plan on being somewhat of a sore winner, as I've told you. I have no no problem with uh, laughing and pointing and saying, I told you so, because I can tell you this. They're going to loot and riot and destroy no matter how we act afterwards. So we wouldn't do that. That's that baseline morality. If Joe Biden wins, I'm going to say, all right, let's clean ourselves up, rally the opposition, try to take, you know, as much as we can of the midterms and get ready for defeating Joe Biden or really Kamala Harris, because <laughs> we all know how that's going to go. Biden's going to step down. He's going to step down. That's going to happen. Um, but you would see right now, this is a point at which there should be no politics. Everyone should just be rooting for. And look, President Obama put out a good statement about about Trump. There have been Democrats who not all Democrats are hateful. I understand that. I admit there are Democrats who are friends of mine, who are good people. But I'm talking about the overall mentality of the left, the Democrat Party, the dominant narrative, the dominant feelings among those on the left who make the opinions, who make the narratives. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Here's Senator Dick Durbin. Play eight. Well, first, Stephanie, let me tell you, I wish the president and first lady a speedy recovery. Politics aside, we should be human beings at first and foremost. But second, let me tell you, this president has never taken COVID-19 seriously from the beginning, misleading the American people, not showing national leadership when we needed it absolutely for testing and PPE, ignoring the advice of experts from the start, refusing to wear masks, continuing to have these mass rallies and put people at risk. And then he pulled it off again last night while a patient at Walter Reed. Imagine now that those Secret Service agents in that car with him and others now have to quarantine themselves for 14 days because this president wanted to wave from his car as he went past his supporters. It just shows the kind of approach to this deadly virus that a president should not have. It's a terrible message to the American people. I hope he gets better, but it's all his fault. That's what the Democrats are telling you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to take a step away from all the Trump COVID hospital stay stuff for a moment. Update you here on Brianna Taylor's family asking the Kentucky governor to appoint a new special prosecutor. This is from uh, ABC News saying their fight for justice is not over. Breonna Taylor's family asked the governor of Kentucky to appoint a new special prosecutor to reopen the case and slam state attorney General Daniel Cameron for intentionally not presenting homicide charges against three white officers who fatally shot the 26 year old black woman in her own apartment. The request was made in an open letter to Governor Andy Bashir and came a day after the public release of 15 hours of recordings of a three day grand jury hearing which resulted in one officer being indicted on wanton endangerment charges, but not for Taylor's death. Unfortunately, Cameron did not serve as an unbiased prosecutor in this case and intentionally did not present charges to the grand jury that would have pursued justice for Ms. Taylor, reads the letter addressed to Bashir, posted online by Taylor's family attorney. End quote here. This is from ABC News. You're going to see a lot more of this, folks. The I didn't get the prosecutor I want So let's get a new let's demand a new special prosecutor who can bring new charges against uncharged people. Now, this is really uh, a kind of abuse within the system or abuse of the system for partisan ends. Oh, well, let's hand it to a special prosecutor now. 
Based on what? Based on we don't like the decision the last prosecutor made. Our whole system is that we have people that are in positions of authority. And look, prosecutors, very little oversight. It's a big problem. It's not like I'm a big fan of the way that uh, prosecutions often happen in this country. But, but the way it usually goes down, we've got people who are in charge of making this call, usually at a, either a district attorney, a state's attorney, or U.S. attorney. And it's their call. And sometimes it's a close one. But now we have a situation where when charges aren't brought to the satisfaction of BLM activists, then they turn up the political pressure. The mob essentially gathers outside, sometimes literally does this. This is what they've done. This is what they did in Omaha, Nebraska. For that individual, the bar owner, uh, who was being charged with murder for defending himself. You're not allowed to attack somebody who has a gun and just assume they're not going to use the gun. And they're supposed to assume that you're not going to use their gun on them. No. If I see that somebody's got a, an open carry or concealed carry going on, I'm not thinking I'm going to punch this guy in the face as part of a mob because he's never going to use that on me. If I think that and I get shot, it's on me. But don't worry, that's never going to happen. But in that case, the initial prosecutor, this this is now the new this is the way the Alinskyite socialist leftist mob goes about its business when they don't get the politically motivated charges they want against an individual for self-defense or against a police officer or an incident like this. They demand a special prosecutor comes in. Oh, let's bring in somebody else to look at this as if they'll be happy with that. Why not bring in a special prosecutor after that special prosecutor? Why not bring in 10 special prosecutors to see if you can get one who brings charges? Remember when during the, the Hillary Clinton email fiasco, let's take a step back and remember that for a moment. During the Hillary Clinton email fiasco, there was um, this story that you'd hear this narrative of events that james comey offered up with no prosecutor would have ever brought charges based on what happened here and then there were a whole bunch of former federal prosecutors who were like no actually i would have brought charges so all that it really came down to there was the person who got to make the decision the decider to borrow from bush this is a great word we should really use that one more uh the decider in that case went in favor of hillary clinton but could have gone the other way. And you know what? Unfortunately, that's the system that we have. Because the alternative is what we see here, where there is a political demand. And let me just also be very clear. Murder charges for Breonna Taylor would be insane. Okay? I mean, for the cops that shot her. That would be insane. There's no person who believes that they want... So, so I mean, murder charges are completely outrageous. No one even claims the cops meant to shoot her. No one thinks they wanted to shoot her. It was an accident. She was in the line of fire. It would be like if cops were having a shootout with bank robbers and a bullet went over the bank robber's shoulder, the cop fired and hit a little old lady standing 10 feet behind him. That's a tragedy. That's very sad. And the city is responsible for trying to make some form of. Of uh, amends for that financially and, and otherwise, but it's not a criminal act. It's doesn't it doesn't make the cop a murderer. There's a big difference here. You know, somebody uh, somebody was uh, on, a, on a bicycle, a nurse, this terrible story out of New York, uh, a nurse going home, I think it was 730 in the morning over the weekend after a long shift at a hospital. She was on a bicycle and uh, I, I don't know the specifics of how it went down, but a motorcycle a mo- got on a motorcycle, hit her when she was on the bicycle and she died. And he went into the hospital. He was in critical condition being on a motorcycle. I mean, a, a motorcycle is dangerous, too. Um, and there's no charges expected. 
It's a terrible accident. Now, maybe there's civil damages that will come into play, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lawsuit here. But no, I mean, based on the, the fact pattern here, it was not a murder. It was an accident. And, and they're pretending like they can't understand this. There's, the, there's this pretend that they don't know the difference between an accident and a murder. Now, if they're going to say it's reckless endangerment, then they're going to have to get over, or, or involuntary manslaughter, rather, then they're going to get after, uh, have to get over the hurdle of proving that returning gunfire when you are being shot at by someone is not acceptable. Where, where did these cops go wrong? That's what the real question has to be. This is why the state attorney general in Kentucky didn't didn't provide murder charges. Where did they go wrong? Because under fire, they weren't good enough shots. Because they didn't have a clear enough view down a dark hallway at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it is of, of everybody that was in the line of fire when they were being shot at. I mean, think about it, if you applied this logic to the military, anytime the military had an airstrike that killed an innocent civilian, uh, we would we would have to have a court martial and, and murder charges. But we don't do that, do we? Because we understand that we do the best that we can. But when you're talking about lethal force situations, the world is imperfect. And uh, those who are t- saying that there needs to be a, a special prosecutor in Breonna Taylor's case, this is motivated by politics. And it's because a lot of people have been have been talking about this case based on lies. There was no knock. There was a knock. Um, she was shot while asleep in her bed. She was standing in the hallway. I mean, you know, they're saying things that are just not true. And they got everyone, you know, whipped up into this into this rage. All these BLM activists and Antifa and, you know, people were all all angry about this one. Right. Antifa and, and the libs and the Democrat Party. And. You know. When you look at what actually happened here. It's not true. What they say happened is not true. It is not accurate. And yet now we have to have the appointment of a of a special prosecutor. I I just think that's an issue. I think that's just what you're going to keep seeing in these cases where they go into a decision that they don't like. And so then it's, oh, well, we need another prosecutor who will give us the decision you want. It's supposed to be about justice, and the process is respected to achieve justice. It's not about a desired political result, but the politicization of prosecutors is one of the biggest problems this country faces right now, and that's what's going on. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Biden went to Michigan on Friday anyway. He tested negative. The virus can take several days to manifest. Um, did you have any concerns about coming, him coming to your state? I didn't because, you know, we know that Joe Biden's been taking this virus seriously. He's been following the science. The Trump administration, on the other hand, has been misleading America, has been ridiculing mask wearing, has downright undermined the efforts that governors like me and your earlier guest, Governor DeWine, have been trying to get people to mask up. This virus doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what side of the aisle you're on. It doesn't care what side of the state line you're on. It is still very present. Joe Biden has been following the science and modeling the kind of behavior that we should all be emulating because our lives are on the line. And that's why that's why I'm so enthusiastic about Joe Biden as Mm -hmm. our our next president, because he's got a plan to clean this up and fix this mess that the Trump virus response has gotten us into. The Trump virus response, you see that? She's the governor of a state that's had a terrible, 
time. Michigan's had a terrible time with COVID-19, but it's Trump's fault. How, how does that work exactly? How is it Trump's fault that things have been so bad in Michigan? Oh, he was supposed to create some magic force field around the United States that was going to prevent the virus from spreading here. He allowed states to make their own determinations about what kind of restrictions to put in place, how long they were going to be in lockdown. He allowed all of that. So what exactly was he supposed to do different? This is the part that I want, I want everyone to focus in on because we got a vice presidential debate this Wednesday. This will come up again there. Hopefully the president will be able to do debate again for a second debate against Biden, assuming that Biden's willing to show up and assuming that Trump is healthy enough. Um, but what was he supposed to do differently? It's really like the personal behavior. That, again, their individual hatred of Trump, meaning their, their hatred of him as a person, is really the main policy complaint, too. They just they just hate this guy. They just freaking hate him. And everything else is secondary to that feeling. Everything else is secondary to that urge. So a lot of us sit around saying, well, hold on a second. You're going to keep talking about how he had a failed response. What was supposed to be different? That he was going to personally wear masks more? It's like the president infected everybody himself. That's the that's the feeling you get from some of this. And Gretchen Whitmer up in Michigan just got uh, just got smacked down by the, the state Supreme Court. It said that some of her covid stuff is on, is a violation of the state constitution. This is not complicated, folks. There's just a lot of cowardice out there right now. So even in the courts, judges don't want to be responsible for this. But there has been abuse of power going on here for months. You can't declare an, an endless state of emergency with all this arbitrary nonsense going on about, you know, what the numbers are of acceptable. Remember, we've had there have been states. New York's a great example where they said, OK, when we get to the following numbers, we'll open things up. And then we get to those numbers and they won't open things up. And you say, well, hold on. This is what you promised. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They changed they change their mind. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, they have a different view of things. You say, well, that's uh, that feels pretty tyrannical, doesn't it? But no, instead of of getting a, a worthwhile discussion about what could be done now, what should be done now, which in my view is. Basic mitigation measures for, you know, you know, large crowds, things that are uh, things that are going to be possibly super spreader events. There can be some basic mitigation there. Um, other than that, I mean, you know, yeah, indoor dining, all this stuff. Bring it back. Let let people live their lives again. And if, if anyone's really concerned about that, stay home. Stay home until you feel like the vaccine is out there or whatever. Otherwise, what we're all going to stay home because some people are scared. I, I don't understand. When does that end? Other people have a veto over your most basic freedom, your freedom to see other human beings, to go outside, to breathe fresh air, to leave your home, to run your business. Other people's anxiety has a veto over all that. Now, you understand that that's that's the country that we're living in. Um, that's what Gretchen Whitmer wants for all of us. And you know that this is political because as we're closer than ever to a vaccine, which is obviously the case, we are closer than ever to a vaccine somehow they're calling for more draconian restrictions than ever before somehow we're supposed to be even more terrified of this than ever before um so you know it's very obvious to me but no instead we're gonna have to keep focusing on the rose garden event play clip nine 
You know, Americans don't like it when you make when you purposefully, forcefully make a mistake that causes a bigger problem. And in this case, that super spreader event was clearly just unbelievable. If even if you barely believe in the science here, uh, but if you do believe in the science and your doctor has told you to wear a mask to stay safe, looking at that video is hard to watch. How does it impact how people feel about how the Republicans are handling the SCOTUS nomination? Oh, it's absolutely disastrous on that front because, as you know, Jonathan was saying earlier, that event with Amy Coney Barrett at the White House was meant to change the discourse away from coronavirus, and instead, it massively backfired in the most incredible way. And even before that, there was some evidence that the Supreme Court was not going to be this huge coup for Republicans. Shortly after um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, there became a, a bunch of polls that came out that showed that, by huge margins, Americans wanted the winner of the presidential election to nominate um, the next Supreme Court justice. Oh, we get to hear about polls again. I don't give a I don't give a crap what polls say about the Supreme Court justice situation. No one cares. We have a process. This would be like saying the president can't really make a decision as he's president because there's a poll that says that, you know, he's below 50 percent approval. So he can't do that thing because the American people aren't with him because they don't approve. Right. That's a dumb. That would be dumb. I think everyone would kind of understand that. But that's where we are. Oh, the polls say that this is what the president should do. I don't care. Polls are nothing. Polls are just a talking point. It's a snapshot of an idea. Who cares? Changes tomorrow. But notice the transition from the event in the Rose Garden was so bad. It didn't allow them to talk about the Supreme Court stuff. And then we immediately transition transition to, uh, well, you heard it. Of course, right? It's don't don't confirm ACB. Uh, You're going to hear a lot more of that. The, the, the desperation around this, you have to remember, people that are opposed to ACB getting nominated to the Supreme Court, the people that don't want that to happen, they don't care how dumb they sound with the arguments they make against it. All that matters to to them is that they're making the argument and that they're getting the benefit of that among their fellow Democrats. All, all that they can really take away from this is. Well, I did my part. I threw everything that I had at this. I was willing to lie, cheat and steal. You name it, I was willing to do it. Anything to stop ACB from getting nominated to the Supreme Court. No, she's nominated and it's going to happen. And that, that, that brings me to another, another place, another level of thinking about this. Uh, friends, if ACB gets nominated, and I'm sorry, if she gets um, confirmed, rather, If she gets confirmed, goes through and then Trump and and in the meantime, right around the same period of time, let's say Trump beats COVID-19 entirely back out on the campaign trail. And then Trump beats Biden. What are Democrats or Democrats going to cling to in all of this? What's going to be the the uh, the safety blanket that they're going to have? You have to wonder about this. What are they going to tell themselves? After all they've thrown at this guy and all the challenges of this year, I I don't know what their shrieks of despair will sound like, and I don't know what their emotional meltdowns will look like, but I know that it is going to be a a truly uh, both horrifying and satisfying experience to observe it all. I don't think they can handle all this, and they might have to. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Let's talk about classlessness for a moment, shall we? I don't mean a society without class. I mean people who act without class and dignity. Uh, You have at the top of that list, the mooch. Hey, the mooch. Still cannot believe this guy was. I know I always complain. I cannot believe that he was in charge of the Trump transition. It's what a what a snake in the grass. Unbelievable. This guy, I remember doing Maria Bartiromo's show on the panel there once, and, and the Mooch was there as a guest. And I've never seen a guy who was so, uh, so clearly all in on everything the president did. I mean, it was, that, was his whole, that was his whole game plan, was everything tr- President Trump does is for the American people, and it's amazing. And then he got fired for being a moron, and then he turned on Trump because he wanted to be on TV again. It couldn't be more transparent. But here he is telling you, hey, he should drop out of the race. Play 11. Well, he still may be forced to drop out due to his health. We have no idea what's going on with the brain fog or the lung damage as a result of COVID-19. But if he really loved the country, he would drop out. He's not physically or mentally capable of being the president anymore. And he would do that. But if he's not going to do that and he gets some level of recovery in his mid 70s, suffering from COVID-19 with all the comorbidities, uh, I hope the American people uh, give a landslide election result to Joe Biden and we can get rid of the president once and for all as president. I certainly want him to recover. I want him to return to health. But I also want him to go to Mar-a-Lago where he's better suited to be a greeter in Mar-a-Lago than he is the president of the United States. You know, no one's really talking about this, but if Joe Biden becomes president and there's still any COVID out there, uh, you know, according to what the left believes, he's at very high risk. Very high risk. And so I guess he's just going to run a presidency from the White House basement. That's the idea. Not going to travel, not going to go anywhere, not going to deal with people, just going to be in the White House basement and, you know, walk around the White House with his black mask firmly affixed to his face all the time. Uh, there is a whole discussion here about maybe the political class in this country doesn't have to be entirely comprised of of, uh, you know, and it's not entirely, obviously, but the the upper echelon of political leadership doesn't all have to be people who have serious health concerns because of their age. I, I do think, you know, you go back and look at the I know people had shorter lifespans, but not that much shorter. You look at the American founding. A lot of people uh, making a lot of decisions in their 30s and 40s. You know, a lot of that going on. And now it's like mid to late 70s and 80s. Look at Bernie Sanders. Look at Joe Biden. Uh, I I do think that this is an issue. I mean, there's something that's what that's an issue that I wish the American people would focus more on. How nepotism isn't just bad in politics, but it's just bad all throughout society. And it creates so much. uh, It's such a a bug in the system of our meritocracy and creates so much bad stuff nepotism is awful but anyway another time we'll get into that uh but the mooch here i thought it was interesting saying what you're hearing from many others too that there's a 25th amendment concern now because the president is taking medications he there's a 20 he's got to be removed because of the 25th amendment i mean they'll never give this stuff up you, you have to remember this they will never let any of the anti-trump narratives go none of it was ever not true None of it was ever, you know, bizarre and overheated rhetoric that wasn't rooted in reality. It just hasn't been proven yet. So the mooch was be is being gross. It's Pelosi. Yeah, she, she, Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, she cares about poor people. She's out there 
Uh, also saying she was the one who was like, basically, oh, I hope the president gets better, but this is all his fault. And Representative McCarthy, who I do think if the Republicans were able to take back control of the House, would probably be top of the list for Speaker of the House. He points out it's really gross what Nancy Pelosi did. Play 16. I'm sorry. Well, it's rather disgusting. And we've watched the Speaker Pelosi say this before, uh, that we're enemies of the state. Um, this is uncalled for, especially in this time and place. And remember, other nations are watching America. This is the one time that we could unite together. I listened in the president's voice, none of those type of languages to anybody across. The one thing I did hear more of, that how committed he's even doubling down to make sure that he lowers prescription drug prices, that he protects pre-existing conditions. And he is sitting here trying to work with this speaker to get a COVID relief package together. And these are the comments that she makes it's really unbecoming of that position nancy pelosi cares so much about you and and the american worker that she has been blocking a covid relief bill that would put money in your pocket during this period because she doesn't want people to feel good about what the government's doing in the country because she wants donald trump to lose so just i I want everyone to be very clear on this nancy pelosi is blocking money that would go into If you are listening to this and you're currently unemployed uh, because of COVID, blocking money from going into your pocket, money that you could use to buy groceries, uh, buy your prescriptions, pay your rent, doesn't want you to have it. But she cares a lot about working people. Sure, she does. Right. This is one of the fundamental fallacies of the of the left in this country. It's disgusting. And it was gross what she said about Trump and the way that she says these things. But then you've even got like political consultants on the left who just come out and straight up say it. People like Rick Tyler, who's like, look, um, I don't even even care that Trump's sick. No sympathy. He even he says it on on national TV. Play 17. He has contracted a deadly virus. Uh, Voters will take that into consideration. And when Donald Trump has removed all the advantages that he had uh, of incumbency by virtue of contracting of disease, which, by the way, and I appreciate your gracious tone at the beginning. uh, I don't have that kind of sympathy. I wish I did, Rev, that you had. Because I look at this as a drunk driver who injured himself in a wreck and killed the oncoming sober driver. Uh, Donald Trump has injured himself and injured and and 200,000 people, other drivers, uh, have died uh, due to the coronavirus. So I don't have sympathy for Donald Trump. Uh, He put himself in this situation. He could have done very simple things, which he continued not to do, to not have contracted this virus. And now he has the virus all his fault you see all his fault that's what they want you to believe and he's he's killed all 200,000 people he's responsible for all of it Democrats actually say this stuff and they think that they don't sound like they're completely insane when they do uh, you know I, I really wanted I've wanted Trump to win all along and I've wanted obviously Biden to lose but now more than ever I want Biden to lose because otherwise we're not going to get our lives back They're going to keep doing this. I mean, they're really committed to this. They believe that we should all just continue to live in fear all the time. We should be living in fear. We shouldn't be able to go go about our lives. You know, shouldn't be able to travel, go open our businesses. Just normal day to day stuff, not allowed. And it's not going to be allowed for another year if Biden wins. They like the power. They like the control. They're not giving it up. Not willingly. Nope. And then over time, after they've really just immiserated all of us, beyond any you know any expectation of what we could handle as a population 
then they'll start to allow and then we're supposed to be grateful for it. Right. Then they'll start to allow us maybe in 20 March of 2022, you know, all of a sudden they'll say, okay, maybe the mask mandate will be limited to the following circumstances. They don't care. That's the future we're all heading for here. They're not telling you that, though. And then again, there are a lot of things the Democrats are not particularly interested in telling you right now. Um, like, who, who would Joe Biden pick to be on the Supreme Court? We got this ACB fight going on right now. Who does Joe Biden want in that role? Doesn't that make a big difference? Why hasn't he just come forward and say, hey, guys, it should be Merrick Garland. That would be a now that wouldn't that would be a non-starter. But I'm just saying he, he's got no specifics to offer whatsoever. Well, Senator Cotton, I think, understands exactly what's going on here, which is that Biden cannot win the election in a few weeks time if the American people know what he is really all about and what a Biden presidency will be like. It is necessary for Biden to lie to the American people about what a Biden presidency would do. That's that's the Democrat Party. And that's why when they say Trump lies, Trump lies, Trump wants to do the things he says he's going to do and has tried to do the things that he promised to do. He didn't run as one thing and turn out to be another. That's not reality. All right. You, you got you voted for Trump. You got Trump with Biden. They want you to vote for some some fiction, some uh, construct that doesn't really exist. And that's what that is what we see happening right now. And uh, Cotton understands play 13. Why Joe Biden won't reveal his potential Supreme Court nominees, putting out a list the way Donald Trump does, because it would expose the radical left wing agenda of the Democrats. Any judge that Joe Biden nominates would impose his views on the American people, taking critical questions away from them, not protecting their right. Second Amendment rights, or in many cases, their First Amendment rights. That's what the Democrats yep. want from the courts to achieve by litigation what they can't achieve by legislation. It's true. That is all that is all accurate. That is all, I think, a, a fair view of what the reality is here. And then there's also something else in the background with all of this just things that i want you to keep in mind as we get closer and closer to this election you got the supreme court seat in the mix you got the covid lockdowns the future of the economy all the things you're already thinking about but there's something else too i have not been particularly uh, well let's just be honest i've said that the durham probe is probably going to do nothing it'll tell us what we already know more detail and people that are already upset about the obvious coup attempt against the president from inside the federal government will be very upset about it but Beyond that, um, I have to say uh, there's the issue of the, just getting some of the information out there from more of the intelligence community side. Right. The Federalist.com has a piece out. This is from Sean Davis over there. Multiple senior U.S. intelligence officials told the Federalist that CIA director Gina Haspel has repeatedly lied to the White House about the status of key Russiagate documents and is personally banking on a Trump loss in November to keep the documents hidden. Remember, folks, there's lack of criminal charges, which I think is what we're going to see from the Durham probe. But then there's also just the American people knowing what really happened in a way that the left can't lie about or hide from anymore, at least can't lie about without intelligent people understanding it. Quote, Haspel has repeatedly lied to the president about the status of documents. She will claim she does not know where they are, and then we'll find out she had them the entire time. Slow rolling it, folks. The deep state 
slow rolling documents about the Trump coup effort from inside the deep state. Another reason why, if you want to if you ever want anything close to justice around that, if you want to know what really happened, it is absolutely essential, essential that Trump win reelection so that there's more time to get this information out because the bureaucracy is intentionally slow rolling the coup attempt documents. That's what's happening too. keep that in mind as we go forward. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Think about the health risks involved here. I mean, it's really, I mean, Dianne Feinstein, the, the ranking Democrat, is 87 years old. You know, Chuck Grassley, who was on the Judiciary Committee, is also in his mid-80s. There is COVID swirling through the United States Senate, and they are expecting these senators to sit right next to each other hour after hour, day after day, a week from tomorrow. It's really dangerous and, and reckless. So dangerous for the Senate to perhaps do its, its job, which they can do remotely. The Supreme Court was hearing arguments remotely today. The Senate can do its work remotely, too. But anything to slow down or at least pretend they can slow down the ACB nomination, these Democrats will go along with. I want to introduce you all to Jacqueline Thomas. She's a fellow at the Falkirk Center. And she's uh, focusing on jurisprudence there. She's going to talk to us about ACB, what's going to happen next. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Hi, Buck. Thanks for having me. So what, what are our expectations right now? We know the president's in the hospital, so there's a whole lot of focus on that. Who would have thought that ACB could be pushed out of the headlines so, so quickly? But now all of a sudden people are realizing this is going to get done in a, in a matter, supposed to get started at least in a matter of weeks here. Uh, what do we know about the process as it stands right now? It's moving forward. Any, any other last-minute hijinks? Of course. We can always expect last-minute hijinks or hijacking from the Democrats. Anything that they can do to prevent this first conservative woman from even her, her nomination hearings on the court. And like they were saying in the clip that you showed, they're calling, the Democrats are calling it reckless, that this is totally against what they should be doing right now. And, of course, they're using COVID as an excuse for this. But if we've seen one thing through this pandemic over the last several months is that America is resilient and with resiliency comes creativity. And we have seen just how much we can do online and through technology. There's no reason that these Democrats cannot have the ACB hearings. Do you have any sense of what what you're expecting the anti-ACB arguments to focus on? Are there some general ideas that we all have? What do you think is going to be the main line of attack against her from the Democrats as it stands right now? The first thing that comes to mind is her faith. Senator Dianne Feinstein famously in um, Amy's seventh court of appeals hearings a couple of years back criticized her by saying the dogma lives loudly within you and what she was referring to Amy's Catholic faith. And the Democrats have this insane fear, number one, that Amy is going to put her faith when in objectivity and how she's going to legislate from the bench. That's their first and foremost. And secondly, they're horrified because Amy destroys the liberal feminist narrative that in order to be successful, you can't be feminine. You can't have a family. God forbid you cannot be married. And that just completely breaks down all their arguments as to why they don't want Amy on the court. Yeah, I want to ask about that specifically. Uh, you're a young conservative woman. I mean, speaking from that perspective, 
What would it mean to have someone like ACB on the court? Someone who's had who has seven children, happily married from all that we know, and has one of the most impressive legal resumes anyone's seen in a long time. It would mean the world to conservative women. Amy is very qualified. She has a very resume. And the fact that she has this other side of her that is very feminine. She's a wife. She's a mother. She has adopted children. And she also has this insanely successful legal career. Conservative women have never been represented on the highest court in our land. Of the country, about 50% are women. And 50% of that population are conservative. So for Amy to get on the court would be hugely inspiring and encouraging to this next generation of women and my generation coming up into the legal field. You think she's going to get through? What are your expectations? Sadly, I expect it to be much like the Kavanaugh hearings a couple years back, which was extremely embarrassing for our country, the, the attacks that went down. And I assume for them to criticize every single thing about her, just like they did about Brett Kavanaugh, search into her past, maybe even attack her looks because we know that the Democrats are not against that. And then of course, her faith, her faith and her family values and also her children. In the headlines, we keep seeing how it's racist for a white person to adopt a child of color from another country. God forbid this is rescuing someone from an unfortunate situation and putting them in a loving family home. So I think that the Democrats will stop at nothing to prevent her from getting on the bench. Yeah, it's amazing that they're even willing to uh, make adoption seem like it's a bad thing. But anything in support of abortion, which the Democrat Party is more worried about that than anything else here with ACB. Uh, Jacqueline Thomas of the Falkirk Center, thank you so much for joining us. Come back soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, it is time for Roll Call. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to send us a Facebook message, Buck Sexton on Instagram. Just send a direct message to the account. We can pull it from there. And also uh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us, producer Mark loves spending a lot of time every night going through all of your finest and most fantastic messages. So we should also ask producer Mark how his weekend was. Check in on him. How you doing, buddy? How was your weekend? It was pretty good. Got to see some friends. Uh, had some delicious sangria. All, all good stuff. Yeah, you had like a sangria event, right? What was it? Yeah, I went to a winery uh, in Central Jersey, and they had like a fun sangria and sliders event. And both things were delicious. See, I would usually make jokes here about Central Jersey winery. Do they have like big smokestacks and vats of chemicals and things like that around the, around the vineyard? But no, I've actually been to places in New Jersey. I've been out there for weddings. Very beautiful. Yeah, I was shocked. I'd never been to this part of Jersey before. You think, you know, Jersey is disgusting. It just smells. But actually, there are some pretty nice places in Jersey. Yeah. You know, Jersey was very high on some recent index of overall state happiness. I'm serious. Is that true? For, yeah, I'm serious. I don't know. I was I was surprised. Yeah, like, come on. All really? it takes is me driving around this state and I get angry. So 
Yeah, well, the thing is, most people know of Jersey, a lot of people, at least in the Northeast Corridor, Jersey for them is I-95 through the industrial area, which is one of the most depressing, like, parts of any, or, or just kind of ugly drives that there is. When you get those last 15 miles before you get to New York City, basically the road from Newark Airport to New York City you're just like, this is the end of a Mad Max movie when, when the bad guys have won. And you spend so much time there because that's where you hit the most traffic. Yeah. And all right. of so I-95. You get stuck there just breathing in all the chemicals and the fumes. A lot of people live right now in San Diego and Omaha and Austin are like, really, Buck? That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. You guys don't have to deal with that. You're lucky. We get to deal with this kind of stuff here in the city. All right. Uh See, I just do that thing that New Yorkers do. I just call it the city, even though we've got dozens of cities across the country that listen to this show. Pablo kicking us off here. Hey, Buck Shields. Hi, I want to thank you for your recommendation of Bosch as a series to watch. I watched every season. None disappointed. I heard you on yesterday's show. You're saying you're looking for something else to watch. I was searching for something last week and found on HBO Perry Mason. It's not the cheesy 50s version. This version is edgy. Watch the first episode and see what you think. Enjoy. Pablo, thank you for the wreck. You know, I've been watching The Boys on Amazon, which I have to say I've enjoyed, but now it's getting a little, you know, I think they can't help themselves. There's a little too much about, oh, you know, immigration stuff and can't, can't watch a show without it being some Democrat propaganda nonsense. I also was uh, watching The American President, which is a Michael Douglas movie. I think it's written by Aaron Sorkin, so it's very similar in feel to the West Wing, the way the script is and everything. And it's just so funny. I missed those sanctimonious 90s libs for whom everything was about gun control and not drilling in Anwar. Those are the two. We were all supposed to be up late at night like, oh, we just need to ban assault rifles and like not drill in Anwar. Those were the big issues. I mean, those were things that got libs really, really fired up. They still never addressed how global warming, because if you go back, American president, I think it was 1995, 1996, the movie came out. If you go back and and check it out, you'll see, hold on a second. They used to call it global warming. Why did they switch it to climate change? Why not just keep global warming? Almost like there's some PR effort to make it so that there's more wiggle room. Climate goes up. Climate goes down. It's changing. Therefore, there is climate change. Because they didn't have the warm uh, that they wanted to show, right? The hockey stick graph and all that stuff. They didn't have the, the warming they wanted to show. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's real, friends. Uh, they changed the name. We're all not supposed to recognize that. I, I watched some of Bosch over the weekend. I'm not done with all the seasons yet. I think it's been very, very good. Very enjoyable show. Highly, highly recommend. And I, the boys got a little political, but I'm, st- I'm still okay with that. But I'm, I'm looking for something else to get into the mix with now i don't know i'm, I'm gonna try i i keep trying to watch look i tried to get the snow princess to watch uh pole dark with me which was an old team buck recommendation from a while back some folks told me to see it i like it it's like british people masterpiece theater i love all that old british crap and uh, snow princess thought it was boring but then there's another show that i'm just going to tell you I, i've bailed out on and i know some of you really like it and sometimes i have to tell you guys what i don't like that you do like just so we can have a little bit of Otherwise, there's just too much love in this relationship team. So I got to tell you things that upset some of you, not all of you. And Yellowstone, I just I can't do it. I can't do it. It's beautifully shot. It's incredible uh, sets and 
and it's visually very appealing, but all the characters are like basically bad people. And it's the whole thing is very somber and everyone's horrible to each other. And I don't know. I just I find it depressing. I don't know what anyone sees in it. I actually turned on Banshee, which is an old Cinemax show, which is absurd, absurd, ultra violent, tons of sex. There's a guy who's Amish, who knows Wing Chun Kung Fu, who's the head drug lord in a small town in rural Pennsylvania. I mean, what? Yeah, I know we're on a great station out in Harrisburg. I don't know how many Amish cartel leaders there are who are also really good at Kung Fu, who have like crazy hitmen slicing people's heads off. And I mean, the whole thing. Have you seen Banshee, Producer Mark? It's nuts. No, it sounds like you accidentally ingested some sort of illegal drug. No, I know. It, it's, it's complete. It's bonkers. The show... But I will say, if you could get if you get past the fact that it is completely unrealistic and absurd in every respect, it's kind of entertaining. It's kind of entertaining. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's completely implausible. It's like The Rock, completely implausible, but highly entertaining movie. So, do you mean The Rock, the person, like the actor, or no, no, no? I mean The Rock, the movie with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Oh, the whole thing is. They're going to bring some guy out of prison to lead a team of SEALs because the U.S. military has a faction that's taken chemical weapons and they're going to use them on San, San Francisco. I mean, look, don't I'm not hating on The Rock, the movie. It's a great movie, but it's absurd. It's completely absurd. Uh, so, yeah, see, now now we're getting those roll call messages fired up. Producer Mark, you got to poke them a little bit. Sometimes you got to poke them. We're going to get some angry Yellowstone messages. And I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to throw down over Yellowstone because people r- love this show. And I'm just like, I don't see it. I don't see it. We did get know. a lot of people suggesting it. Yeah. See, poking people. Beautiful. Makes you want to move to Montana. You know, all the cowboy stuff is real cool and all that. That's but I know. See, sometimes I got to poke the team a little bit. Gene. Oh, wait, hold on. Steven. First up here. Listening to yesterday's show today, you mentioned shows to watch. Don't forget, Mandalorian Season 2 is coming up in a couple of weeks. Steven, great call. Mandalorian Season 1, I watched that. I watched the whole season twice in a month, which I never do. I thought it was... You've seen it, right, Producer Mark? No, we've gone over this. I don't like Star Wars. I can't remember what you're like unreasonable and grouchy about and what you're actually normal about. So I do forget that you did tell me this. How is that unreasonable and grouchy? You don't like sports. I don't tell call you grouchy for that. Well, it's the way that it's the way that I say it. Uh, No, look, I I, look, you're allowed to not like Star Wars, but I think the Mandalorian is pretty damn good. So, so Stephen, I am excited about that. Producer Mark doesn't have to like it. It's okay. Um, You know, I'm glad you enjoy it. I just don't. I'm not going to watch it myself. Hey, look, you know, you told me to watch Miracle, and I admit it was a very good movie. So, you know, we do agree on some of these things. But uh, Mandalorian Season 2, I'll definitely check that out, Steven. Thank you for the heads up. You know what? I like Longmire. I'll say this to kind of win some of you back who are already booing me over the Yellowstone reference. Uh, I think Longmire is better than Yellowstone. I enjoy Longmire more as a show. And they're both kind of set in similar, similar backdrop, similar background. So there you have it. All right, Gene, which I always love hearing from people named Gene because my... Uh, uh, just wonderful, unfortunately departed, but wonderful grandmother on one side was named Jean. Hey, Buck, first time writing in, and what better or more important time to do so than now during these frenetic days before the election? 
Upon learning Trump has COVID, I had these immediate thoughts, and I'm wondering what you think of them. Libs hoping for the president's death from from contracting COVID decimate their credibility on at least two fronts. Number one, it proves they're not the party of empathy and compassion they claim to be in a life or death situation concerning someone they disagree with. They jump at the opportunity to pray for death. Their collective response crystallizes that they're the party of hate. Number two, when Trump recovers, they will have no way to explain how the 74 year old high risk and according to them, extremely unhealthy man wasn't taken out by the apocalyptic super virus. Moreover, returning to the campaign trail after convalescing will show just how tough and dedicated Trump is. Gene, uh, I think you're spot on on both counts. I I can co-sign with this analysis. Yes, it is certainly the case that the outpouring from the left, and there's been a, a lot of it, the outpouring from the left of people who are clearly rooting for COVID over Trump, which is, how, how, could you imagine being that morally uh, corroded? I mean, to be that obtuse, uh, I just, there should be no place for that. And it, this is not, I don't do that. Look, a lot of people love to go on Twitter and my business and show everybody how, how decent and nonpartisan they can be. And it's not really, I mean, I don't know. I I don't like to do things that look like you're trying to be morally showy. Um, But we should all just understand this, right? I mean, we should be clear that whether I mean, I I can tell you this. If Joe Biden got covid in in a week or in three months and he was and let's say he was president in three months, uh, I would as soon as I heard he got covid be saying we, we need Joe Biden back in action ASAP. He's the president. He's the commander in chief. And we are all rooting for him, all praying for him. And that's it. Not, oh, but he didn't do this thing I wanted him to do or anything else. There's there's no buts here. And that's what the Democrats do. There's no buts when someone has a possibly life threatening disease. No buts when someone from the opposing party has cancer or somebody has covid or whatever it may be. There's no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thoughts and prayers. But you throw that in there, you're you're completely nullifying the thoughts and prayers. I'm going to say it. And as for the Trump recovery and what it does, the narrative. Yeah, I think that'll be a big symbol. It doesn't epidemiologically mean anything because, you know, over 99 percent of people who get this are going to be fine. But for Trump to be fine would certainly, from a perception standpoint, be enormously beneficial because people would say, oh, wow, if Trump could be okay, even if I'm in my 70s or my 80s. And I got this and I'm taking the, you know, take some. You want to be careful. I, look, if, I'm not telling anyone who's, you know, over 60, go to an event, you know, shake hands and hug 100 strangers and sit without masks on the whole time. And no, of course not. Right. But we've gone all in the other direction. We're shutting down cities again. We're shutting down businesses. We're saying, sorry, your life's work up in smoke. Because and we're shutting down schools because what, 20 year olds or it's a 20 year olds are at basically no risk from this. And if they're contained on campus, you know, what is the big problem here? Oh, we've lost all sense of perspective. So I think, uh, yes, it will. It will be very helpful, very beneficial when Trump beats it, just because people will stop being so scared. Fear does not help decision making. Fear results in. Hasty decisions or decision paralysis. Fear does not help when you're talking about mass 
uh, you know, mass movements, public policy, uh, things like what to do in the in response to a pandemic. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call here. Garrett writes in, heard you mentioned yesterday that if you moved to Florida, you'd have to start playing golf. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The same weather that makes the state a golfing destination also helps with other hobbies. We have world-class fishing and all kinds of other great outdoor activities, hiking, biking, running, or beach going. It's a great state. We need your vote to offset the many liberals that are moving in from the Northeast. Garrett, thank you for keeping a seat uh, open and warm for me down there in Florida. Uh, sounds great, man. At some point, that's I think that's going to be the move. I've been saying this for a while. It's going to be Florida or Texas for me. That's where I'm going to put down roots. I'm not going to be putting down permanent roots in New York City. At least that's not the plan. Um, I'm going to visit. I got a brother who's moving to Austin, Texas. One of the Sexton boys will be in Austin, Texas. So I'm going to go visit him this fall after the election. I can't go anywhere before the election, obviously. Uh, so I'll spend a little time in Austin to go check that out. And uh, hopefully I'll come into contact with some of the KLBJ folks. Might go. Look, I'm just going to tell everybody I'm going to a local barbecue. I'll get on radio. I'll be like, I'm going to go. I'm going to find the best barbecue joint in Austin. And anybody from KLBJ land who wants to hang out will drink and eat pig and it'll be fun. So that's the plan. And uh, my, my you guys can meet my brother, too. And for the ladies, he's actually single. So there's that. Uh, let's see. What we got here. Oh, and Garrett. Yeah. All that great stuff about Florida. I know that's true. Look, Florida's a great state. Great state. Nothing but love for Florida. Kim. Buck, when I first started listening to you after they took another unnamed host off of the 7 p.m. time slot and put you on never in a million years that I think I would get used to listening to you. But I kept listening to you. And then one day you were saying everything that I was thinking. It's like you're my soulmate, but in radio form, I would tell my husband, come out and listen to Buck. He's really wound up tonight. And ever since I've been a fan, as the old saying goes, never judge a book by its cover. You are the best, Buck. <laughs> OK, I'll take it, Kim. Thank you. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I look I look like uh, I look like I could be, you know, Michael P. Keaton's brother in family ties or something. But don't don't let that throw you. There's fire in this conservative belly fire. And producer Mark gets to hear the salty off air language. So he knows there's fire. By the way, I, I meant to say this, Kim, uh, you got to tell us where what station you're calling when you would. If you guys can, if you listen on a terrestrial station, we love it. If you tell us just right, you don't have to write it out. You know, I listen on this station. Just put the call letters. That way we give a little shout out on air, too. So, you know, if you're at you know, a uh, KFMB or KLBJ or uh, WoWo or WGY or WCBM or uh, KEIB or, you know, I'm just going off the top of my head with all these ones. Well, but, Buck, it was obviously it. a very smart station that Kim uh, is writing in on replacing you with a the brilliant, other, a, instead a of the other riffraff out there. You know, 93.7 Freedom out in Denver. I mean, you know, we got we got a lot of. I got a lot of great stations that I would love to. Uh, now, now I want to name all KFAB and uh, and Omaha. And I, we we'll all be here stations. all night if you're uh, naming know, every station we, we're on. We're on 180 stations now, so I, I can't even begin to name all of them. Uh, KNRS out in Salt Lake City. All right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. All right, here we go. Uh, oh, that's going to be the show for today, team. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, Shields High.